This is Bo Buchanan with another edition of On the Level, and I'm here speaking with Jim Watson, and we just concluded the uh, 2018 Grand Lodge of Arizona Leadership Conference. Jim, why don't you start by telling me your full name, the name of your home Blue Lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Okay. Uh, I'm Jim Watson to all my brothers. I, my uh, my home lodge is uh, Scottsdale 43. I'm a past master. I was master of Scottsdale 43 in 2007. And uh, I'm now currently a uh, district deputy grandmaster for the uh, uh, state for the state of Arizona and Grand Lodge of Arizona. What district? 23. DDGM for District 23. We're just a small district and small lodges, and it was really interesting to go from a uh, a large lodge of 500 uh, to working with lodges that uh, uh, one of my lodges only had 14 members when they started. It was a brand new lodge, and uh, in four years of being their DDGM, they uh, are now. Uh, 51 or 52. I think they're going to be 52 by next week. The Prometheus? Yes. I know. <laughs> uh, I am, I'm very proud of those young men. They're a good group. Uh, they're an eager group of guys. They're always doing something exciting. Oh, yes, they are, and they'll do anything just about. All you have to do is give them an idea, and we can get in trouble together because it's fun. It's more fun getting in trouble than just sitting on your on your guitarcus <laughs> and uh, letting somebody, uh, you know, tell you what to do. We'd rather go out and be uh pave the <laughs> pave the future and make it uh right so so let me back things up and say tell me about when you first heard of this thing called freemason whether you were a kid or adult when did you first hear about freemasonry if you remember well i really didn't pay a lot of attention to uh masonry or uh, listen to it uh i know i found out later on there were a lot of People in my where I grew up that would uh, that were watching me, but uh, I uh, never thought about masonry because I was always too busy conquering the world. I've, I've, <laughs> I have two or three different uh, businesses that I've, I've uh, uh, run, and I've been all over the world doing doing things that I like. I like to build and, and build cotton gins. And I've been all in every every continent in the United, in the in the whole world doing this. So you grew up in Arizona, you said, right? Well, I was I was born in Arizona. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. And uh, and it wasn't too long after that that uh, I was basically raised in uh, Blythe, California, which is right on the border. It should be Arizona because uh, you, know, you really can't tell the difference in the people uh, in Blythe and and the folks over in Arizona. So you said when you grew up, people were watching you. You mean years later you found out that there were what men who were masons who kind of had an eye on you and thought, oh, this kid's pretty sharp, that kind of thing? They must have. It was interesting because emotional story back there about this. Kind of. Yeah. Uh. I started working when I was 12 years old, and it wasn't 
working like a little boy mowing yards and that kind of stuff, I uh, started uh, working uh, hauling garbage because uh, my family at that time, my mom and dad, little brother and little sister, uh, were uh, we were hurting and we didn't uh, do you know, welfare or any of that kind of stuff. We took care of ourselves and my dad couldn't work. He, he hurt his back severely and so uh, I'm, I'm the oldest, and I took over. Uh, I went to work for a gentleman by the name of Mr. Bell. He was a, a big, big, big old uh, black black man that uh, uh, had a had a business. And uh, Mr. Bell. Mr. Bell, yes. Okay. Yeah. And Mr. Bell uh, had a business, and he had a oh, a couple of worthless. He had a worthless son, and and a lot of people leeching off of him. And, and he was just tired. He 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 had phlebitis real bad. He couldn't walk anymore. But uh, I asked him for a job, and he gave me a job. And so everybody in town knew what I was doing because I think I was, I know I was the only white boy on a on, on hauling garbage around town. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't I wasn't I didn't know what racism was. We in 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 my little town, we we either liked people or didn't like people, depending on, on, on what who they were and how they how they uh, their character more on their character. If they were a good character and a good person uh, that you could depend on, you liked them. If they, if you didn't, you just stayed away from them. Uh, that was about about it. But anyway, as time went on, uh, after a, a good long summer, Mr. Bell kept saying, "I want to sell my business." And uh, uh, me being too young and too too dumb, I decided, well, I could do that. <laughs> I, 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 I went and I bought. Uh, I, I what I did, I I knew I worked with all the guys that uh, Mr. Bell had there, and and most of them would show up when they wanted to. A lot of them were, oh, at that time we called them winos. Uh, uh, they they really would show up drunk uh, or not show up at all, and it was very frustrating for him. But there was a a really really good good gentleman by the name of Benny Cole Jr. Benny Cole Jr. Yep. He, he was one of the winos. No. No. Ben, Benny Jr. Uh, and I became real close friends. And he showed me how to pick up 55-gallon drums as a 12-year-old, because that's what they used back in those days. We didn't have today. Uh, kids like you, uh, you go around, you see garbage kids have wheels. Oh, they have wheels on them. They have <laughs> trucks that have all this hydraulic mechanisms on it. But in those days, you had a big round uh, truck, uh, a garbage truck, and you had to lift it up at least. Depending on when, at the beginning of the, of the, when you were starting to fill it up, it, you had to lift it up at least, uh, oh, five feet in the air and dump it in and get it out. And then as time went on, your truck got full, you were, you were lifting it over your head, over, over six feet tall. And uh, found out how to do all of that. Denny Jr. showed me how to do that. And what it was, thank goodness it was, a, it was out in the country. It was a small town. We ended up, uh, uh, 
working together a lot. And a lot of times I would <laughs> drive one of the trucks and Penny Jr. would drive the other. <laughs> but anyway, so it goes. And what it went on, that uh, I, wanted, I wanted to buy that business. And in those days you had uh, what we call real banks, real local banks. And there was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Fred Denweiler. He was, uh, he was in charge of uh, Security Bank. In, uh, in, in a little town of Blythe, and we, uh, I went in there, and I wanted to see Mr. Denweiler because I was going to borrow some money. <laughs> Here I am, about let's see, twelve, twelve and a half years old. Twelve and a half, you going into the bank to borrow some money? <laughs> okay. And. Uh, when you're in a town of only 9,000 people, you know, everybody knows everything. <clears throat> so, so I was basically poor white trash. <laughs> but anyway, so it goes. Uh, we we uh, I presented. I said I would like to buy Mr. Bell's business, and, and this is I can make this work. And, it, it, uh, and I tried to give my little pitch, and he said, "Well, it sounds pretty good." However, how are you going to pay for all this? And all these real difficult questions that I knew I was going to pay for it, but I got I put my name on it. <laughs> I grew up before my time. But anyway, so he said, why don't you go home and talk to your mom and dad and let them know what you're up to. So I can do that. And who's going to take care of your books? I can do that. <laughs> you don't hold it. He gave me a list of things to do. And lo and behold, the next week I came back. I don't think he expected me to come back. Mr. Denweller, I'm here to borrow some money. <laughs> he said, well, son, and he he was a huge guy. At least at that time, I was pretty scared because uh, he had a big, big banker desk or lawyer desk, whatever. And he seemed larger than life. Oh, he was larger than life to me. And and, uh, and I went in there and uh, said, I'd like to borrow some money. He said, "Well, son, I've, I've been watching. We've been watching you in, in town and, and around. You work hard, and I think you're serious about this." And I said, "Yes, sir, I am serious." Uh, and I, I know he knew that we were hurting financially. Our family. Uh, we just don't ask for help. We take care of ourselves. And tell you what, tomato soup. With rutabaker, that's the meat. <laughs> Don't ever feed me tomato soup ever again. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> and if we're lucky, we have some cornbread. I always had beans, thank goodness. But anyway, so goes. <clears throat> we. Uh, he said, I think I'll, I think I'll just lend you some money, and I thought I was borrowing bank money from the bank like you're supposed to. And I did, and that's what I thought all along. And I made him a deal. I told him I would uh, have him, I would have it paid for within within five years. Because I figured by the time I'm out of high school, it'll all be paid for. Well, lo and behold, he lent me the money. I went down to Mr. Bell. He gave me a checking account, of course, in his bank, so he could see all the money going in and out. My mom would would take care of the. Uh, uh, bank or the the uh, books, and then I would collect the money, and 
and mom would record it all and then I'd put it in the bank and that was for the family and lo and behold and within I paid that off that bill off in six months holy cow my business increased that much Benny Jr. took the big truck and I took the small truck his was I think a five yarder and mine was a four yarder and I would I would uh Get up at three in the morning, haul garbage, go in front of the school, take my coveralls and take my coveralls off so I had regular clothes underneath, and then I'd go over to the boys' uh, gym and wash up a little bit and put karate punk, uh, perfume on. I smell like a I smell like a whore in church. Oops, I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> Okay, no you karate and no tomato soup for you. Yeah, yeah no uh, don't don't uh, okay. you eliminate that. Right. I'm sorry. I, but anyway, uh, so I <laughs> we did really well. By the time I was out of high school, we uh, I had four garbage trucks and you know, four garbage good trucks. Both kind of so what? So let me business. bring that back to. So I didn't have time to look at masonry. Okay, right. You're asking me about masonry. I've worked almost all my life. I have some young men that I I try to talk about masonry to, and and one one of them here a while back asked how many how many people have I you know worked for. Here I am, I'm 70 plus years old, and I can tell you I've worked for two people in my life, other than me, uh, for a total of uh, nine and a half years. And the rest of it I've been done every I've worked on my own for myself all along so anyway I was able to sell the business go on to college because I always wanted something more although did the so, garbage business pay for your college oh yes mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah it took care of the family we we made well we did well let's put it that way it's the most profitable business in the world uh, sold it to Guido and Company, uh, which is, uh, uh, when, when I did that, there was, a, uh, there was an interesting story on that. I can tell you stories all day long, but uh, there was an interesting story on that. Uh, uh, I was working on my, my garbage trucks on, on a Saturday afternoon. <clears throat> well, I was having some difficulties. So I was, I don't know, replacing a clutch or doing something like that in one of my, my trucks. And... Uh, I was, what, 17 years old, 17, 18, 18. I was just in a senior in high school. And these two big big limousines came in, Lincolns came in, and out of the front one, two big bruisers that make you look like a little boy came, opened the door, got out, and then they went back and opened the door, and here's this little, little big guy with a cigar in his mouth. He decided to come over and introduce himself. He said, I'd like to buy your business. I said, okay. Uh, and he said, I'll give you blank dollars. And I said, I don't think so, sir. And uh, I don't, I'm not really interested in selling. And, and you and your boys can you know, get off my property. I don't appreciate being intimidated. So they left. And it was it was... Several months later, I guess they did the research or homework, and 
he came back uh, when I graduated from high school and everything was kind of going pretty good. But uh, I still wanted to go on to college or do something because uh, high school was too easy. It was a joke. <laughs> it really was. So I uh, listened to him and he basically offered 10 times more than what he first offered. <clears throat> I said, well, you're getting kind of close. <laughs> <laughs> 10 times what he first offered, wow. And uh, I said, if you bump that up at least one more million, I think we might talk. And he said, I think we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, there's one more stipulation. Benny Jr. will get a 20% raise They'll have health insurance, and uh, you cannot fire him. <laughs> wow. Taking care of Benny. So he made the deal. Made the deal. And Benny Jr., <laughs> he was just happy doing what he was doing. Ended up having a pretty good life. And his brothers, and you know, good to he had a beautiful family. It was just a good, good relationship. And so this was right after you were what, eighteen or nineteen when you sold uh, the business? Or eight, about eighteen. Eighteen years old. Sold the garbage business, and then when did you go to college? Right away, or? Oh, I went to junior junior college because I'd fallen in love with a little girl. Oh yeah. And and anyway, that little girl and I've been married now for. 48 years. <laughs> 48 years. Girl, you, you met her in junior college? No, she was a little girl that uh, I was, personally, I was rather bashful. I was, I could do business, I could work with adults. Personal life, I was rather bashful. Because I was a garbage man, I smelled like garbage. I, you know, so I didn't have much of a school life other than I, I could read, write, and I could outthink just about anybody in the, in the school. Most of the kids, that, the Uvalde Victorians and all those people, they, they don't really work. You know, they have maybe little bitty jobs, but nobody had a full-time, you know, 100-hour-a-week job running a business and going to school. Right. But, so I ended up being, I think, you got Uvalde Victorian, Slavic Victorian, and then, then here I came in. So that means not too swift. <laughs> well, you know, kids that don't work that hard should be doing real well. How old were you when you discovered and so, and, and so when I was, you know, I went to college, enjoyed myself. I have multiple degrees because I went to college for nine years. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. What are your degrees in? Well, I have, uh, history was always fun to learn. But if you don't have, if you want to know history, you need to know economics. So I have an economics minor, I have a chemistry minor, I have an engineering major, I have a, oh, I was getting into physics big time, it was kind of really neat, that's, that's when my wife basically pulled the plug, because I wanted to go over to Fresno State and get into astrophysics, but uh, I think it was time to probably settle down. She was like, no, I want you for myself. <laughs> so I ended up, uh, I ended up, I said, well, I'll just teach. You know, 
and that's part of the when I work for someone else. And I and I taught. I enjoyed the teaching. I really enjoyed the kids. And uh, but again, I wasn't thinking about masonry. I just was enjoying the kids. Uh, and uh, as time time went on, I got teacher of the year and teacher all these awards for all this. And all I was doing was working and, and encouraging kids to learn, challenging them. That's the only what you, what you should do as a teacher. But anyway, uh, we ended up. Uh, I got an award from the Masonic Lodge in the, in, in the town when I was teaching. You're still in Blythe at this time? Mm -hmm. okay. I, I came back to Blythe because I, I wanted to, to teach and I wanted to get that school on track. Oh. I really want The one that was a joke. Yeah, it was a joke. And if you don't challenge kids, then they're just going to go through life in la-la land. And I see that a lot today because I think political correctness was starting to move in when I decided I think teaching is not for me. I'm not politically correct. I don't want to be politi politically correct. And uh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done just to say, I think it's time for me to leave. And so, but, but as I was uh, uh, left back to my masonry, I, these masons, they gave me a, a, a recognition dinner, an award for uh, being a teacher that they recognized. So <clears throat> there's something that today I'm saying, brothers go out and reach out into the community and reach out into the community and let the, let the, support the community. Well, these brothers, now I can call them brothers, uh, then they were just really neat guys. They gave me a, an award and rec just a recognition. It was just a little, little plaque and, you know, attaboy. And the attaboys are good. Right. And uh, and they give me a uh, uh, an award, a dinner. I really felt you know uh, felt good being recognized. And then I started looking at them. And I said, boy, these guys aren't as crazy as I thought. Because when I was in college, I read a lot of wild stuff about all these cults. Right. And you you've seen it. Yep. And oh, it's always easy to assume bad things about people than to really look at it. Mm -hmm. And and I was too lazy to really look into masonry. But these guys <laughs> these guys were all good guys. They're people that I've always known. You know, they're in the community, they're pillars of the community and people who were really leaders in the community and and all of a sudden I realized, wow, I think I missed out on something. And so but when I retired from teaching or I basically said I'm not doing this anymore. I then I had to go out and find a job because I can't just sit around. And so I said, "Well, I'll just use my engineering, <laughs> my engineering abilities." And uh, I went out and <coughs> I, I uh, build and design cotton gins or design and build them. Cotton gin. I don't know. What does the cotton gin gin actually do? Cotton gin is basically a factory. You take in the raw cotton. <coughs> And the raw cotton, uh, it basically is a, a series of machines uh, that will process anywhere between let's see, 30,000 30, bales an, uh, or 30,000 pounds an hour to, uh, oh, I would say uh, 100,000 100, pounds an hour, depending on how big they are. And it and it takes in the raw cotton from that they bring in from the fields, 
and it separates all. <coughs> so that's the thing me. that spins around that has needles that like pull it apart. Well, kind of. There's all kinds of okay. mechanical. It, it's it's pretty intricate in a way. It it uh, it the the cotton gin will separate the cotton the lint from the seed. That's the first step, and then it it'll it'll separate the tra trash from the 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 seed. They'll take out as much trash as possible, you know, trash leaf trash and sticks and stuff like that that comes in. And they'll get the, the trash in one area, they take the seeds and they put it in another area, and the lint will go into the bale. And, and out, out the uh, back door is a 500-pound bale of uh, lint, and that's what they sell to the spinning mills. And the spinning mills uh, use it to make our, our clothing and whatever they want to make out of it. Bale, a pound Fast, bale yeah. And I've built built gins up to 80 bale an hour, which is, you know, 80 500 pound bales an hour. So that's it. that's processed. Now you you put that 80 80 times 1500, and that's how many pounds of trash or or how, how many pounds of uh, trash and lint that you're handling. And it's all got to be pulled in with air. You're either you know. You're either pulling, pulling in, or pushing with air. So you have to know, you have to know a little. You have to know air piping. You have to know hydraulics, electri electrical. Most of them, most gins are. The big gins will run a, uh, on around about eight, eight thousand uh, connected horsepower. So when you started building the cotton gins, you still weren't a mason yet. So no, I wasn't a mason. I wasn't a mason. Okay. I just worked. I worked. I, I'm a workaholic. I had 30 employees basically and I went all over the world doing this stuff all over the United States. Been in all kinds of countries all over the world. Wow. And uh, as time went on a blessing happened. I uh, got sick. You got sick? I got sick. My kidney, I had kidney failure. Oh wow. And I got to thinking that old Frank Sinatra song, Is This All There Is? Uh, I said, man, I I can work, I've done all this, but there's got to be more to life than this. And I started looking around, and I got to thinking, you know, let me look into this, this masonry. I, at my church, I had a, a couple uh, friends that were masons because they, they wore their little emblem. And I, I asked uh, uh, Tom and, uh, and Jim, I said, what's it? What what's it take to become a mason? Boom! <laughs> All you gotta do is ask. You know you've heard that before, and I have too. So wait, you asked who? Who did you ask? Uh, Tom Sweetman, who was uh, from Minnesota. He was a mason from Minnesota, and Jim uh, uh, Jim Miller, who is our one of our past potentates in the in the shrine. And how did you know them? Uh, I, in my church. In your church, okay. And, and you're still in Blythe. No, over here in Phoenix. Oh, in Phoenix. oh yeah. When I when I when I uh, quit teaching in Blythe, I came back to the big city and and uh, I had to you know make a little money and do do my thing. So you and your wife moved and, back here and then yeah. you got sick. I had to be around. Oh well, I worked for several years before that. Okay. So my only regret in in all my life is that I didn't become a Mason any sooner. So how old were you when you asked them about Masonry? 57. 57 years old. So all this other stuff you've gone through in life, That's traveled life. all over the country, That's just life. didn't know about Masonry, she didn't visit any lodges during that whole nope. time. Nope. Then when you were 57, 
you ask these guys about joining Freemasonry. They said, what is this? What is Masonry? And why, how did you, how did the subject come up between you and them? How did you know they were Masons? Just by the pens, you the said? The pen, I read a lot. Okay, so you read a lot. You, you had been reading and you knew what it was. Yeah, and, 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 and I knew these two, two guys, and they sure aren't. The crazy, crazy, the crazy people, and and, and then I, and I didn't realize back in Blythe and my, when I'm when I was young, all these Masons that they were Masons that were friendly with me. Oh, they were. Well, here's the here's the real kicker. Okay, so I ended up, I went to one lodge, and uh, and since Tom was a a Shriner, and I went to a, a lodge at uh, I'll just rather leave uh, anonymous. Okay. Uh, Went in and uh, said I'd like to be a, a a mason. They said, "Well, are you going to go into the shrine?" I said, "I probably will. I want to. I want to help uh, help my, my mankind." Well, we don't really have any time right now. And I said, "Okay." And I thought, "Well, I'm rejected." And <laughs> Tom said, "Come on, we'll go talk to Jim. Find out where to go." Well, Jim was a a member of Scottsdale 43, and he said, "Well, you just come on up here with me. We'll go over here to uh, Scottsdale because the, the other lodge was pretty short. It was close to where I live. It was over here in the, the Chandler, is where it was located. And anyway, so I ended up going up to up to Scottsdale, and here's this little short, bubbly guy. I come up there to introduce myself. Come on in, and he was the master of the lodge." And Chuck was the, you know, he just, he just, he made me feel welcome, and I just, I just fell in love with the, you know, with, Chuck, with the idea. Chuck, Squires. Chuck Squires, Chuck I don't know Squires. Him, Well, he's a past master from 2000, or he was, he had to run, that lodge was having a really, kind of a rough time, they had some issues, as all lodges do now and then, but anyway, he had, he was, uh, master for almost two years, uh, so he was ninety, ninety nine, two thousand. So. So you just joined in ninety nine, two thousand. That wasn't mm -hmm. that long ago. No, wow. I'm, I'm only eighteen years old. Wow. So okay, so you had uh, heard about, maybe done some research. You saw these guys with the pins. Mm -hmm. From the time that you asked them till the time that you went to your first meeting, how much time elapsed there? Was it immediate? Oh, I was anxious to become a mason. So, uh, since I knew someone, and we didn't have a friend-to-friend -friend program or anything like that, we had to get to know him six months, which you still do, you had to then, but but Jim vouched for me, his dad vouched for me, they were both members of Scottsdale, Tom, Tom uh, signed for me, we had, you know, I had a few people, and I didn't realize that I could have called Blythe and get, get a whole bunch of people, but they were California Masons, you know, ooh, 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 there's a big border right there, but anyway, but who was? I'll go back to my question. Who was a? Who did you find out was a Mason from Blythe? Was the banker a Mason? My father-in-law became a Mason. Father-in-law. Talking about late comers, late bloomers, he became a Mason. Oh, about three years before I I became a Mason. Did you know that? Yeah, I did, and and I did notice a, a difference in him. He start stopped being an ornery old fart, or at least he became a little more open-minded. Let's put it that way. Uh, I love my, my father-in-law, don't get me wrong, because he's such a neat, neat guy. Uh, but 
So, but anyway, we we got uh, had a good time. Who else? Who else from Blythe turned out to be a Mason? Well, let me tell you, this is the story. Okay, I I got into did my work and uh, my first degree. This is what really woke me up. My first degree at the when I when I had my first degree, there were fourteen brothers from Blythe that drove all the way from Blythe to see my first degree. How'd they find out about through your stepfather? You think my my my, my father-in-law. Okay. My father said, "Jim's going to have a, have a first degree." Oh, about time! And they all came over. Now that blew my mind. You know, you know. The, at that time, our lodge was really hopping and popping, and we had oh, fifty to sixty guys in lodge all the time, anyway. But then you add add another, you know, fourteen brothers from Blythe, visitors, travelers, just visitors, travelers that come to see Jim Watson get his first degree. As time went on, I got my second degree. All the brothers from Blythe came over again. And we're talking about some brothers that were in their 90s. Okay? I never had any friends, friend friends. I had a couple friends but that were my age. But most of the people I liked and I associated with were older than me. I was an old man for my time. <laughs> well, I just, I, I thought most of the people my age were silly and, and dumb. And so I didn't have much to do with them. But anyway, but for my, for every degree, my first, second, and third degree, the brothers from Blythe came over. What's the name of their lodge? Do you remember? Well, I'm a member of that lodge. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're all over the place. What's the name of the lodge? It's now called the Blythe Needles Lodge. Blythe Needles Lodge yeah, number. Ne- you remember the number? Oh gosh, I should know the lodge I'm a member of. It's four. I got a I got a card. Four four eighty five I think. Blythe Needles Lodge four eighty five in California. Yeah. Under the Grand Lodge of California. Yeah. Okay. So do you want do you want to say any of those people uh, from your childhood? Like who were they? You knew them? Did you know all of them? Oh yeah, I knew them. I knew all of them. Some of them were my customers. Some were your customers. <laughs> your garbage customers. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. They so, watched me as I was growing up. And they did, and you didn't even know they were my. I didn't know. I just knew they were good people. They always paid on time. They were. They were. <laughs> they were honest and good people. You always could rely on them. I just. That's all I knew is they were good people and people of of, of good standing in the community. So that's a so that's a great story. You you did your petition. You got into Scottsdale. You yep. did three degrees, and all these guys from Blythe came. That's that's phenomenal. Are you still in touch with any of them? Well, I'm in touch with those who are still alive. Those who are still alive. Because okay. remember, now there were a lot of older gentlemen. Right. And uh, I went back and joined the Blythe Lodge out of respect. When was the last time you were back there? Uh, I guess I can tell you, because I don't think the Grandmaster can do anything about it. Uh, for the last couple of years, they've been asking me to come over and do my little friend-to-friend program, or uh, they, what they would, I, I said, invite the community, and you need to be, get back to being involved in the community, 
because it's changed. You know how lodges go up and down, they go in cycles. Sure. Yep. And so I've been encouraging them to do that. So uh, I, I put on about three programs for them uh, with, with uh, using my, I'll do a little video and then I talk and ask, ask questions and, you know, I, I ask them to please bring your, the wives, bring the, make it a family affair and we'll just talk about masonry. Because you know, I just love masonry. It is, it's the only thing that it means so much to me. It's just, it's the, the best thing I've ever done in my life. And it's that's not a s simple statement coming from me. Uh, I just like to, like I've told you, the only regret I have is I didn't become a mason any sooner. So what 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 is it that one of the things I always ask brothers is. You, you coming up, you talk about you haven't been in it that long. You've been 17, 18 years. Yeah. What is it that keeps you coming? That Why is it that it's the best thing you were found, the best thing that happened to you? What is it about Freemasonry that connected with you such a, on such a strong level? Well, as a construction man, which which I was basically engineering and doing construction, I didn't have to really, didn't challenge my own personal thoughts, my own, my, uh, there was no, there was no, Nothing but just facts, you know. No philosophical thoughts. Yeah, you know, no philosophical thoughts. No, 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 no nothing to, that would encourage me to improve myself. It was just, you know, this is how, to, how I've got to build this. I need this many yards of concrete. Blah blah blah. That's pretty simple to figure out. It's just, it's just calculations, and you got to just follow, follow the rules of uh, construction, and you got it made. Uh, but there was nothing that really hit me. Because I, I missed being in college. I missed the idea of having a conversation with a brother who reads a book, who is well-read, and who who I can agree or disagree with without having anyone's feelings hurt. You know, because there's always two ways to look at any coin. And even a book, you know, we read a book. In masonry, we, we're encouraged to brotherly love, relief, and truth. <laughs> Those are important. And that's... The truth is not only uh, trying to reconcile your your uh, with your creator, reconcile who you are, those basic questions, who am I, who are you, and what are we doing here. Uh, they're always fun to, to run in your mind, but uh, but now I found I found joy and happiness, and I can also teach again. Because these young men are uh, out here that come through our lodge. It's a, it, it's an open door lodge. Just come on in, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about masonry. And it, that's to me that's that it just it's such a rewarding feeling. What do you think the most important lessons are that masonry has to teach young men? If you follow your, the tenets of masonry, and really understand them, and bring it into your heart, that's basically all you need. Uh, if nothing else, if, if, if a young man, the moral teachings of masonry, if you can just understand the, the square and compass, you know, simple little little symbols that we use. And yet, there's so much deep meaning in that. You know, if you square your actions towards all mankind, 
That's hard to do. You think about it. Every day, every hour, and you cannot do that. No, it's hard. But How many times we get mad in traffic and curse oh, somebody out? Oh or, yeah. Well, you learn as time goes on. I don't. I don't get mad anymore. I just okay. Give them more room. Go on with you, and 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 circumscribe our desires, and keep our passions within due bounds. You know, it sounds pretty simple. I don't know of anyone who has a perfect circle. <laughs> but then, 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 and then, what really has got me going is I've gotten into Scottish Rite, and they have uh, uh, books and and, and uh, uh, little quizzes that aren't really quizzes. It's just you know. The Mastercraft. Yeah, Mastercraft material. I really like that. And then I get to talk, get uh, brothers that want to go through that. And so I go through it with them. And, you know, where you always have little essays. Well, you write what you get out of it. I tell you what I get out of it. We combine ideas and we both grow. So you, to me, masonry will help you as an individual continue to grow and become a better man because you're never. You're never where you're, you're always going to be. Remember the rough ashler and the smooth ashler? Some people just because, they think because, oh, I'm a master mason, I must be a smooth ashler. No way. There's no one that is a perfect ashler. I always say we all fall on a different point between that line, mm. between the rough ashler yes, and the indeed. perfect ashler. That's it. Yeah. But it's a goal to continue to go there. And you continue to go until your body uh, it's gone back to ashes, or you know, to, to where it came, or your mind uh, is totally uh, dysfunctional. Who are some of the men you think embody what masonry stands for? Some guys who have stood out to you as role models for you in masonry. Uh, here in Arizona, or anywhere. Uh, when it comes to presidents. George Washington is is the most perfect president when it comes to being a Masonic uh, president. He really, to me, I really look up to him even to this day. I sure wish we had another George Washington. We need need somebody that that uh, understands our moral teachings and our basic philosophies. I know there's a big argument on philosophical teachings. Uh, when it comes to uh, brothers, oh gosh, there's been so many that have in, influenced me. I, I don't want to say say give names and then leave somebody out because that would because I am I am in such debt to so many brothers that have been so kind and have given me true Masonic love and guidance that, gosh. I, I guess I should start out with uh, Chuck Squires, who, who was the, was the uh, uh, master of our lodge when, when he accepted me in and open, invited me in with open arms. Come on in, brother, enjoy, you know, wow. And then he wouldn't let me go. He said, "I want you to become an officer," so I became a Tyler. <laughs> Tyler was your first position. So I worked my my way up from Tyler to master of the lodge. And that was interesting. Now, your 
top line, your <clears throat> top and bottom line signers, was that the father son you mentioned before? Mm-hmm. That was uh, uh, Jim Miller and and, and uh, Frank Miller. And are they both still with us? Uh, Jim's here. Oh yeah, but his dad passed. His dad passed. Uh, and then Tom Sweetman was uh, uh, from Minnesota, and uh, uh, he's now over in California at a, a rest home. But uh, uh, Tom has given me his his. Uh, Masonic uh, ritual for uh, for the funeral, and I promised him that I would do that for him. So that I don't forget these things. What uh, when you were a worshipful master? Any any interesting stories from uh, your time in the East? Anything funny or interesting happen? We had so much fun. I tell you what, I'm the only crazy master I think that Arizona's ever ever had that has done what I've gotten away with. Uh, <laughs> we were getting really uppity because after Chuck, uh, uh, after Chuck, then we got a different, a couple of different masters, and they got so full of themselves, how how certain lodges or certain people just get so full.